Hello listeners, before we get started with this episode, a request to you all, NK News is running another survey about the podcast. Thank you to everyone who took part in the survey last time. We're doing another survey now to give us more clarity on ways that we can develop the podcast so it better appeals to a crowd that is not currently listening to it. So please take a couple of minutes to visit nknews.org slash survey and fill out the questions. Uh, it really would help me and the team at NK News to put out the best quality product that will help us to grow our audience and achieve the long-stated goal of getting 1% of Joe Rogan's listeners each week. All right, that said, on with the show. Podcast listeners, welcome to the NK News Podcast. I am your host, Jacko's Wetsuit, and today it is April the 7th. It's a Friday, the end of the week. Then I'm joined in the NK News studio by two of my colleagues from the NK News NK Pro writing team to do a roundtable podcast on the recent news from and about North Korea. But before we begin, please a reminder to all of you to review this podcast and leave a rating and also share it with people who you think should listen to it or who might be interested and what's more, like and subscribe to the whole series, NK News Podcast. Second, check out nknews.org, where each day all of my journalistic colleagues, not just the ones who are here today, write the best quality North Korea-focused journalism. A subscription for a year costs less than a dollar a day, which helps to fund not only their excellent work, but also this very podcast. Thirdly, follow nknews.org on Twitter, and me, at JackoZ. Now, today in this podcast, I'm joined on the roundtable by Chad O'Carroll and James Fretwell. Welcome back on the show, gentlemen. Thanks very much for having us. Good afternoon. Now, as we record this, we are just eight days out from Kim Il-sung's 111th birthday. Would you expect any significant events to commemorate that? Well, I, I was thinking this is just kind of my, my theory. But So normally North Korea marks big anniversaries on, um, on five and ten year anniversaries. Right. And um, this is going to be the 111th anniversary I was thinking there's there's something quite aesthetic about mm. you know the the one 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 the triple one yeah that's just yeah. my um, thinking I don't think there's any precedent for these kind of anniversaries chat yeah I I there might be something in that regard but I don't think we're going to see any we certainly won't see a military parade there mm -hmm. might be some dances uh, one thing to look out for is whether or not the flower show will return so as listeners may know there's a flower called kim il sung -ia and mm. one called kim jong il -ia, uh which were supposedly breeded or bred created whatever the word is for the dear leaders mm. uh, one in, in japan and one in indonesia i believe yep and we haven't seen this flower show now since i believe pre-pandemic or at least the first year of the pandemic it's been suspended for one reason or another. So that's one thing to look out for. And will there be a Kim Jong-unia unveiled at some stage? Very good question. Because he might want his own flower <laughs> too, right? Yeah, but the, the thing is, it, it's not just about wanting one. You have to have someone out there who's willing to mm. do the, the, the sort of crossbreeding and right. then register it with the, I think it's some kind of Royal Botanists, Botanicist Society or something like that and pay all the fees and that person has to have their name indelibly associated with Kim Jong-un for the rest of their lives. So maybe not many takers. That's a fair point. Mm. Yeah. I think we've also missed the um, the military satellite launch potentially. Mm, that's true. Um, when you say missed, because they did, didn't they say, or weren't we saying, people were saying in April and we're only still in the first week. Why would you say missed? Oh, sorry. I mean, um, in terms of things to look ahead for around Kim Il-sung's birthday. 
because North Korean state media in December, uh-huh. um, if you remember around the time that they were conducting satellite tests and they published those pictures of Seoul, which South Korea says were low quality. And right, the grainy like, one. Um, and in those reports, North Korea said that that test in December was the final hurdle mm. to preparations before a real military satellite launch by April 2023. Right. And uh, here we are. It hasn't happened yet as of recording. Mm. We've got the big 111 Kim Il-sung anniversary. Who knows? Could they still do it this month? I mean, would, would we know uh, much in advance of that? Would we see preparations on the ground from satellite photographs? Well, there are traditionally, yes. You would see at the Sohe Launch Center, you'd see for several days in advance a, a big white satellite launch vehicle being erected and prepared. Right. Um, but one thing that's been a bit different recently is they've done satellite-related test launch events from what appear to be uh, regular missile transporter erector launchers. So mm. those things can move around and pop up in various locations. I think though, I think Colin was saying that they they didn't say it would be launched by April, but the preparations would be done by April. Is uh, that right? I think that's the wording. Yeah, that's the wording I've got in front of me. It's I, a little I've not ambiguous. looked at the original yeah. Korean, but um, yeah, so you're, you're right. They, uh, could, they could fudge that. Yeah, we should also keep in mind that Kim Yo-jong threatened at least twice now to that the Pacific Ocean would be turned into North Korea's firing range for mm. long distance, full range uh, intercontinental ballistic missile testing. So that would be a missile that's launched, flies over Japan, splashes down potentially a few hundred miles off California, which would right, be... Right, this would not be a so-called lofted trajectory, right. but a... What, what's the opposite of it? What's a non-lofted trajectory? Full distance. Yeah. Uh, there's probably a more scientific word. Um, Anchored if you're listening. <laughs> uh, but yeah, that would be something that they could still do. There was some significant anticipation that they would do it a couple of weeks ago, but it didn't, didn't seem to happen. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we'll see. Okay. Now, uh, James, you've recently put together the, uh, the March month in review. Lots happened in March. And I guess we should start with the uh, U.S. ROK military exercises, including Freedom Shield. Tell us a little bit, give us a little bit of an overview of the military exercises that took place recently here in South Korea, James. Yeah, so as you just said, the Freedom Shield, the U.S.-South Korea joint military exercise, this was the really big one that uh, happened in March. It involved U.S. Forces Korea, U.N. Command, uh, the South Korean military, involve computer simulations as well as field training exercises called Warrior Shield. Mm. And according to a South Korean media report that I saw citing U.S. military source, this uh, Freedom Shield exercise um, was to assess the Allies' ability to counterattack in the case of a conflict with the North. And this would include um, operations to maintain orderliness in in areas that uh, in the event of a war with North Korea, I guess that the the allies would recapture. But alongside all this freedom shield stuff, there there was a there were many other military activities going on. There were joint drills involving American strategic bombers, amphibious exercises, an American aircraft carrier was in the region for trilateral drills with Japan. Mm. There was really a lot of stuff going on in March. Okay, and are they all wrapped up now? The big Freedom Shield 
exercise uh, did wrap up. Yes, that began on uh, March the 11th, I think, and lasted for 11 days. Mm -hmm. But we've seen more military drills after that. So it it isn't like the the Americans and the South Korean military just uh, go on vacation after their springtime uh, drills. You know, they're they're conducting other military training all year round as well. Now, why are these exercises significant? Well, the scale, for one thing. Mm-hmm. Um, they were very large scale. The US and South Korean militaries um, said before the Freedom Shield drill started that they wanted to return them to the level of the uh, the full eagle, which uh, ended in 2019 ah. to uh, support inter-Korean diplomacy. Right. And US-North Korea diplomacy too, I guess. Right, yeah, exactly. The US and South Korea at the time scaled down a lot of these drills uh, in the hopes that North Korea would come back to the negotiation table uh, to talk about giving up its nuclear weapons. Uh, That didn't happen. COVID-19 also uh, had an effect as well. But since the Insongyeol administration took power in South Korea, and the Joe Biden administration as well took power in Washington. We've seen a real shift in uh, the US and South Korean positions mm. on North Korea, a much firmer position than under Moon and Trump. And were there any new elements that we hadn't seen before? I'm not too sure on the on the specifics of, of all of these things uh, off the top of my head. So you'll have to check out the, the month in review, which is mm-hmm. on our website, which explains it in, in much more detail. But um. I think what what struck me as someone who's done this for uh, the month in review for for three years now, almost three years. Yes, it was the scale, also the the sheer amount of reporting on all these exercises that was that were going on. There's there's always something. There's always some kind of joint military exercise or military training going on on the peninsula. But um, the 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 South Koreans and the and the US were were really reporting on this stuff every day. They're really trying to send a a strong message that they are united mm. and uh, prepared for anything that North Korea can throw at them. Now, North Korea said that it launched a uh, Hwasong-17 ICBM on March 16th as a warning to stop the exercises. Uh, more about uh, North Korea's activities later. But the question is, how threatening are these exercises to North Korea? They always complain about them. Can they actually see them from the demilitarized zone on their side, or would they need a spy satellite to actually see what's going on? Well, North Korea can definitely see some things from the border, although uh, state media did report on some exercises that it said the US and South Korea were conducting, and then South Korea denied that. So its capabilities, obviously, uh, or, or, well, I don't know, they, they don't seem to be perfect. A spy satellites would definitely be needed to get better information on US-South Korea troop movements in areas that aren't immediately within view from the North Korean side. As for the drills, whether they're threatening to North Korea, I don't think there's any will in in Washington or Seoul to launch an invasion of North Korea to unify the peninsula by force. So in that respect, they're not threatening. But I, I guess you could say that from the North Korean perspective, it doesn't want the the South Koreans to be training with the most powerful military in existence. Um, so I guess that, that's, that's what they got to worry about. It seems to me, Chad, that uh, North Korea's main source of information about these things is media reporting rather than stuff that they actually see themselves directly. Yeah, I think so. There, there's, they certainly have some capability to detect military movements in South Korea and around, but 
not to the extent where I'd say they'd be able to pinpoint, for example, the location of a, an aircraft carrier coming in, certainly relying on press releases mm. uh, for things like that, stealth bombers, things along those lines. Just on James's point, though, let's be honest, if North Korea was doing drills, largest ever drills mm-hmm. uh, in Mexico every year, would that be okay for the U.S.? Would that be seen as defensive if it was, let's say there was an alliance between Mexico and North Korea and uh, there'd been some Korean War style history between Mexico? No, I think the US would also find that rather threatening. So I do think it is important to look at this from both sides. When there are exercises like this framed as defensive, but include this preparation surrounding kill chain, which is, let's be honest, designed to kill Kim Jong un in the event of uh, an urgent escalation. I don't know. It's. There's there's a training aspect for sure, but I can see why the North Koreans get angry and I can see why China and Russia are taking North Korea's side on this. Okay. Uh, James, tell us about the uh, the trilateral exercise involving uh, the ROC and Japan. So there was a two-day exercise. It was an anti-submarine exercise at mm. the beginning of this week. And the three countries reportedly used the uh, US ROK's Navy's expendable mobile anti-submarine warfare training target assets to um, practice responding to the maritime threats from North Korea. Of course, North Korea's shown off its submarine-launched ballistic missile and also submarine-launched cruise missile capabilities recently. So uh, anti-submarine warfare is going to be a big deal for the US and its allies in the region going forward. Mm, yeah, I just think it's a big deal that the three of them are working together, right? Trilateral exercises involving the Rock of Japan, that's always something that is going to attract a lot of attention. Now, what about the uh, Terminal High Altitude Area Defense or THAAD system that was installed in South Korea in 2017? I understand there was a test of a remote control operation of it? Yep, so that was tested for the first time in March. Mm. As you said, it was installed in 2017. It's been very controversial, yeah. um, not only from North Korea, but from China, China as well. China has not been happy with that. No. But one of the unit administration's main things has been that, you know, that China should uh, respect that, you know, we're, we're using this uh, to combat North Korea. And this is our decision to do this. So basically, the, the big deal about testing the remote control system is that uh, the interceptors were recently, until recently, they were um, connected to the control center by cables, mm-hmm. which raises concerns about whether right. that was, you know, uh, how much area it could protect in, in South Korea. So, yeah. Okay. Now, what about North Korean weapons activities? I know that uh, I mentioned earlier that North Korea launched a, uh, a Hwasong-17 ICBM uh, what have they been up to? Uh, what were they up to during the month of March in terms of uh, their own weapons activity? Well, again, um, you know, there's, there's just so much. Mm-hmm. That, uh, if, if listeners yeah, it's almost like a shopping or a laundry list, isn't it? Right, yeah. Um, you know, your readers, uh, listeners, sh- sorry, should um, check out the month in review for a more detailed mm. overview. But there were lots of missiles t- uh, tested. Kim Jong-un inspected nuclear warheads, which would be placed on um, short-ranged missiles. These are the so-called tactical nuclear warheads? Right, yeah, the tactical nuclear weapons, and these would be used potentially against um, South Korea and U.S. forces in the region. North Korea revealed an underwater nuclear attack drone, 
they tested. Yeah, is this the thing that can set off a radioactive tsunami under the sea? Well, uh, experts in this in this area have been quite doubtful about how useful this uh, underwater drone would actually be. I don't think. I think uh, setting off a tsunami is over exaggerating it. And that's are, North Korea's own marketing language, right? Though, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's what North Korea said. It probably a, a lot of weapons analysts have actually been. You know, downplaying uh, this quite a lot mm. saying that it's actually if they were going to north korea was going to use this unmanned underwater uh, vehicle this uuv it's not very time efficient it would take a lot more time to deliver ah. uh, you know the a, a nuclear weapon over to its targets than a missile it's vulnerable to anti-submarine efforts so in that respect it's probably not quite as powerful as north korea is claiming but mm. It does fit into this drive that North Korea's been pushing to really diversify its means of being able to attack South Korea and the US. You've seen missiles launch from from trains. You've seen them, um, you know, cruise missiles, short range missiles, long range missiles, twenty um, plus delivery systems, according to Ankit Panda, mm. now for nuclear warheads. Now, perfect. Wow. Okay, but it, but coming back to that uh, underwater drone, it sounds less like a. Uh, a radioactive tsunami and more like a fart in a bathtub. Would that be? Oh, well, <laughs> I wouldn't quite put it like that. I mean, if if you managed, you know, deliver a radioactive tsunami to, um, you know, even even if it might not be quite that, if it was able to reach its target, it would do a lot of damage. But I think the point that weapons experts are making mm. is that, you know, there are a lot of downsides as to a lot of north korean weapon systems actually there are there are pros and cons yeah um to each system it, it has some advantages but it's also got some vulnerabilities mm. and um you know north korea acknowledging this probably is really trying to diversify its weapon systems so that well if one means of delivery fails it can um try out another an, another means of delivery and hopefully one of them will work and deliver a big explosion to its enemies. As, as well as being upset and, and threatened by ROC-US joint, uh, sorry, combined exercises, it also seems that North Korea uses these uh, military drills as a, a, a cover to justify its own tests of, uh, of missiles and to uh, develop weapons of mass destruction. Is that a, a fair statement? I think it is, yeah. Of course, North Korea is going, it launches missiles throughout the year so it's not a a perfect description but at the same time you definitely do notice an uptick of north korean missile launches when the u.s and south korea are conducting drills you also see an uptick in uh, u.s rok drills when north korea is launching missiles as well so Mm. the two sides definitely are responding to uh, one another right now we mentioned at the start of the episode about the satellite launch that hasn't happened yet may still come we also haven't seen a seventh nuclear test we've certainly been talking about that for more than a year <laughs> are we expect chad uh, and and james are we expecting to see uh, a nuclear test in the next month or two well if we keep predicting it at some points we might be right and then we can um you know claim that we were correct all along so um, this is true and hope that everyone forgets the uh, the false <laughs> uh, predictions before yeah, yeah. i mean there's no real point in trying to predict this I mm. mean, um and let's be honest it was uh statements put out by the u.s at a very high level in may 2022 that got everyone talking about this right this was about the the work in the tunnels 
Yep, yeah. exactly. The Pung- Pungari, uh, South Korean ministers pretty much ever since mm-hmm. whenever they made public remarks were saying, you know, they would just pick random, seemingly pick North Korean holidays and say, mm-hmm. oh, like, there could be a test. Uh, we've heard it so many times now. It will happen when or if it happens. Yeah. Yeah. And all these people that have been predicting it, yeah, it, it's it's not happening. <laughs> Okay. Uh, now, uh, James, on uh, North Korean weapons activity uh, more broadly, have we seen any evidence or more evidence of North Korean weapons sales or gifts or shipments to Russia uh, to help in its invasion of Ukraine? Or what about movements of North Korean soldiers to Russia to help that war effort? So in terms of the North Korean weapons to Russia, and this might make sense because we've seen a lot of reports from South Korea about food shortages from the South Korean government, but also North Korean state media has commented on uh, food, you know, food supply issues mm-hmm. within the country. So there does seem to be uh, something going on in that respect. It makes sense. Russia needs um, weapons to fuel its invasion of Ukraine. And North Korea is experiencing food shortages. So it's right. a win-win in that regard. But no smoking guns, if you'll pardon the pun, just yet. Nothing just yet. Mm-hmm. No, I think a couple of months the US released some satellite imagery of um some i think it was train car um carts that it said contained mm. uh weapons but you know we, there's no way of yeah. telling from our perspective whether what was it exactly was in these uh trains so we've just got to take their word for it and what about the large number of north korean soldiers that apparently volunteered to uh, to join the army as conscripts yeah so this was um this was again at the end of the march and it was a report from a pro government online Russian media outlets that cited Ukrainian media reports. An unnamed Russian official reportedly said that uh, there would be 10,000 to 15,000 North Korean troops, yeah, arriving every month. And this would, yeah, every month, yeah. And um, and so Moscow hasn't confirmed these reports. Yeah, and um, we still haven't had any battlefield sightings yet. No, I mean, this, this is a... This is a really huge number. I mean, wow. 10, 10 to 15,000 yeah. a month. It does come after last year in, in the summer, I believe, there were a Russian media commentator said that there would be 100,000 North Korean soldiers going to yeah. uh, Ukraine. Now, in the, in the past, North Korea has sent military personnel to conflicts in other countries, mm. but it's, it's really been a, a handful of mm. people. I mean, this is a country that's that's still uh, technically at war, right? It's not going to right. be sending soldiers in such vast numbers uh, to another country. It does seem unlikely. Just remember, though, we've seen claims that North Korean workers were going to go to the eastern republics of Ukraine. Mm. We've seen claims that North Korean munitions are going to Ukraine and now um, warnings or threats that North Korean soldiers may go. Just bear in mind that Ukraine... When it comes to open source intelligence, there's a tremendous amount of information coming out of Ukraine. And there are a number of um, bloggers, people on Twitter, YouTubers who are like studiously documenting everything that's going on there. And the record from them is that none of these things are true so far. Mm. There's been no, no credible report, not even any uncredible report about North Korean munitions. Certainly North Korean workers, we don't believe they've, they've gone. And I think this is probably a hypothetical. Right. Okay. Well, something to keep an eye on. Chad, what's happened up at the demilitarized zone at the uh, Swiss and Swedes camp? 
Yeah, very surprisingly, a few days ago, I got sent some photos by a contact of the Swiss and Swedish Neutral Nations Supervisory Committee buildings, which are decades old, being mm. completely torn down and destroyed, which was quite a surprise. I mean, in frankly, most other places in the world, I would say these would be sort of historical sites by now that you'd want to protect as cultural artifacts of the Korean War. But mm. for some reason, they've just been, well, They've been torn down apparently because the buildings are so old and and it's hard to keep them warm in winter and cool in summer. Uh, I've heard there have been some difficulties with the buildings, but still to completely tear them down mm. seems quite surprised. Furthermore, the blue bridge that was hastily erected or extended for the Panmunjom summit of was it April twenty eighteen? Yeah, yeah. That has uh, a source shared some photos on Friday and it. It looked like it's being demolished. The whole um, bridge or just the expanded bit? Well, it looks disconnected. The the, the blue bridge I saw on the photo is mm. disconnected from any other part of the blue bridge and has been quite seriously severed. Like wow. it looks like someone has just axed off parts of it. Um, and that's also allegedly due to maintenance. But uh, the person that went there and saw it, Thomas Vizhabowski, um, he was there on Friday with a, a small delegation or on the weekend, last weekend, he said that when he saw what was going on, the extent of it didn't of of so-called renovation didn't really add up to hmm. to the stated purpose. Um, oh. And he pointed at the fact that the Charles Bridge in Prague has been maintained for literally centuries. Why, therefore, would a bridge hmm. that's only a few years old need to be completely torn down or par even partially torn down? It has, let's bear in mind as well, it hasn't been used for a long time. Yep. Tourists have been forbidden from going on that thing for a while. So yeah, he speculated, and it's just speculation, that maybe the UN administration wants to literally get rid of visible symbols of achievement from the Jain administration. Now, they did leave that tree, though, that we saw when we were there. Well, that would be quite extreme to remove a tree that mm. was laid by not just Moon, but Kim as well. I, you know, There's no way to know for sure, but the, the pictures certainly looked excessive when it comes to renovation of what is a very historically important area and usually historians would be of the position that you should try and maintain these kind of assets for mm. the future uh do all you can to keep up the upkeep and not just tear them down and replace them but you know korean not to generalize but in south korea people do that all the time don't they they tear old things down very rapidly and build new things without much thought is this perhaps a sign that South Korea, like North Korea in the 1990s, wants to kick out the Neutral Nations Supervisory Commission? <laughs> um, well, that's, it's interesting because it does come after the, uh, well, at least the UNC um, investigated some of the Yoon Suk-yeol administration responses to some of the North Korean actions earlier this year, like the drones crossing at the border, some of the missile launches across the MDL, uh, and the UNC did criticized both Koreas for for breaching the armistice you know mm -hmm. perhaps as a link i don't know mm. officially this is just i should reiterate this is just down to maintenance and fixing replacing old buildings that are well past their expiry dates mm. people who want to see the uh, the full story and the photographs can go to nknews.org and look for the uh, the story i think it's titled nnsc camp and dmz abolished a uh, demolished sorry i mean again though like just to for listeners who are not maybe who are from the us or from south korea where old buildings are not so familiar 
my own family house in London is from the Georgian era. It's hundreds of years old. Mm. And we've managed to keep it warm in winter and cool in summer. No problem. You buy insulation, you install it. Yeah. London is full of buildings that are hundreds of years old. So I don't know why. Yeah, I do do think it's odd that this would need to be completely torn down. Yeah. Uh, Chad, another story that you've written recently on Chinese shipyard firms linked to uh, transfers of vessels to North Korea. It's often said that Chinese firms and traders help North Korea to evade sanctions. What have we learned from this most recent panel of experts report? Yeah, so the panel of experts report was published a couple of days ago. Frankly, I mean, being brutally honest, we haven't learned a great deal from this report. Mm. It's really a lot of stuff on shipping a lot of stuff on missiles um you know these themes have been repeating now for multiple panel of experts reports and there was no real smoking gun in this one of of anything super significant one small development though was uh, about uh two different shipyards in china or rather companies at uh, shipyards in china uh, were identified as playing a role a an unspecified role in the uh, supply chain of North Korea's illicit acquisition of cargo transportation vessels in the last couple of years. So basically, old battered Chinese mm-hmm. ships uh, going to these two shipyards, we presume one uh, while they're there for a month or two, that there's works to clean them up and, right. and upgrade them, and then they go to North Korea. Now, whether or not those shipyards do actually know that they are playing a role in this North Korean supply chain is open to interpretation. They say no. We we managed to contact them. Ah, so um, the shipyards, yeah, they've responded to the allegations. They didn't respond to the panel of experts. They responded ah. to uh, to our reporting inquiries and mm-hmm. said that they they had no business with North Koreans mm. and just there to fix ships. And so, uh, yeah, I mean, but this is the level of, um, I mean, for for sanctions investigators, people in the compliance sector, this is important, but it's. It's not a huge issue, to be honest. Okay, but it's it's kind of par for the course, I suppose, is it? Well, the the thing that's like a new trend, certainly since the pandemic, they're, they're, the North Koreans are acquiring a lot of old vessels, mm. so they're expanding their fleet, and there is evidence that they're you know they're clearly visiting Chinese ports a lot more often in recent months than they used to. There's a sort of re uh, an uptick again in illicit exports, uh, ship to ship fuel deliveries. But zooming out, I was thinking about this the other day. How newsworthy is it that North Korea is violating sanctions anymore? I mean, humans breathe. North Korea violates sanctions. Mm. Like there is no significant appetite anymore from key stakeholders, the U.S. even uh, yep. certainly China and Russia, to impose penalties on North Korea and enforce these sanctions. So. People in the open source, the panel of experts, uh, think tanks like RUSI, um, C4ADS, our own work. We're doing work to flag stuff that we see, but I mean, it's scratching the surface and there's literally been no penalty for any of this. The UN hasn't issued new sa- sanctions or designations for since 20, late 2017. Mm-hmm. So people are getting away scot-free. There's no real cost besides being named. So we know what's going on, but we have no idea what the full scale is. And as you say, it's just scratching the surface, which is, yeah, only a few of them are getting uh, not caught, but uh, noticed, I suppose. Yeah, I mean, just just think about this in five, ten years from now. Will we still be mm. pouring over 
panel of experts reports that are just saying this again and again and again um, with inevitable resistance from China at the panel of experts that they've played any active role in these kind of transactions or not. Does it feel like at this stage like the uh, panel of experts reports are largely copy and pasted from previous ones? or uh, No, they're not copy and pasted. They are... I, lo- I think the key changes... Well, there's a couple of things. Number one, China's resistance to credibly investigating claims of, of its nationals and companies being witting players in North Korea sanctions evasion has has really become farcical in, in some cases. Like, you know, dismissing satellite imagery, for mm. example, showing barges delivering coal into Shanghai, things like that. Just saying that that we don't know what you're talking about, basically. Mm. It's the, at that level. Yeah. So what so the other thing is that the the reports as well have become, I'd say, less investigative. There's more summarization of mm. other people's work. So for example, the cyber section this year, it's really uh handpicking a summary of what various cyber specialist companies have said. But again, you know, the panel of experts is is a about a dozen people mm. and even a dozen people like to to really crack one of these investigations properly needs serious time serious resources and most importantly the support of all five of the p5 countries to open the right doors in the respective countries when there are investigations that point to malfeasance in places like china and when those doors are not opening there's political infighting within the panel. It, it it's hard to see how it can really do much. Are there Chinese people on the panel of experts? Yeah, the all 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 of the the five P five countries have ah. uh, people within the panel of experts, and they're all uh, supposedly independent. But the reality is, some are more loyal, shall we say, to their capitals than than others. Um, but yeah, I mean, I I just I'm very pessimistic about the future of and purpose, frankly, of sanctions on North Korea at this point. Well, that, that does sound depressing. Uh, James, uh, sticking on the depressing theme, what's the uh, food situation in North Korea like? Well, uh, unfortunately, we still don't know exactly, but uh, it looks pretty bad. So there are a number of more reports in March from the South Korean government and media about food shortages in North Korea. Apparently, significant numbers of North Koreans are starving and suffering from malnutrition. Mm. But at the same time, it these uh, food shortages aren't as extreme as during the 1990s, the uh, so-called arduous March famine. And the food shortages also aren't extreme enough to destabilize the North Korean leadership either. What are the realistic risks here? Well... I think the the risk is that a lot of North Koreans are starving to death and there's there's nothing that the outside world can do really because of the country's um covid border restrictions there have been no foreign NGO or UN staff in the country since uh, the beginning of 2021 and also North Korea maintains a lot of secrecy so even before the pandemic North Korea was reluctant to let too many foreign workers into the country even if this would have improved the food situation it doesn't want a bunch of outsiders 
running around the country because it's very suspicious about everyone that's not from their society, basically. Is it fair to say uh, that, as some critics often do, that North Korea prioritizes the development of weapons systems and building up its arsenal over feeding its people? I think that, yeah, that is a fair characterization. I guess if you were to, you know, ask North Korea, maybe, or, or uh, someone who sympathizes with, with North Korea, you you might justify this by saying that it needs to invest in these mm. these weapon systems because otherwise it gets invaded by the American imperialists and then there's going to be no uh, country or people to feed anyway. I think the bottom line is that if North Korea chose to, it could spend far more money investing in its uh, agricultural mm. system. Uh, it could change its uh, system to try and incentivize farmers more it seems that the north korean government's solution to food shortages is basically just tell people to come together and and work harder for the sake of the country basically is that what kim jong-un ordered his people to do at the uh, recent party meeting right yeah so he said that um you know party stronger party control is going to be key mm. to fixing these issues but um yeah, at the end of the day, you need to increase the incentives for uh, farmers. That would make a, a really big difference from the um, from a government policy point of view. And as I was saying earlier, you know, there there are the outside world. There are groups and countries that are willing and ready to help North Korea solve its food situation. But if the North Korean government doesn't let them in the country, yeah, they, then they um, there's not much that they can do. Right. Uh, Chad, uh, coming back to you, North Korea surprised many people, including me, when it let a foreigner inside its borders for the first time in three years. We just heard from James about how uh, World Food Program and other NGOs can't get in. But North Korea has let in a foreigner, and not just any foreigner, but the new ambassador of the People's Republic of China, Wang Yajun. Was that expected? I did come out of the blue. There was no leading indicator that I was aware of. Hmm. But yeah, it, it's a big, it is a big development. He went in, we are told by a couple sources, with a delegation of nine other uh, diplomats. Mm. Did he fly? Did he go in by rail? He crossed over from Dandong mm -hmm. to Sinuiju on the North Korean side of the border. So that would have been by rail or bus, mm -hmm. presume the latter. Apparently did one week of quarantine and then down to Pyongyang, which has mm. been confirmed as of yesterday by the Russian embassy who uh, had some kind of uh, welcoming event. Is it a sign of further opening of the North Korea-China border? Can we imagine other North Korea, other yeah. foreign diplomats going in soon? After it happened, I reached out to as many representatives from embassies, mm. from NGOs, humanitarian organizations, and a handful of businesses still working in North Korea to ask them what they thought. And the message I got pretty much from everyone except someone close to the Russians was that this was an exceptional one-off hmm. uh, just with Chinese. Don't read too much into it. Um, it. The border remains closed. Now, that being said, a couple of people talked about a rumor that Air Choreo flights could restart in April. Hmm. I actually called Air Choreo today and spoke to a gentleman there who said that... You that called them in, in Pyongyang? I called them in China, actually. Ah. And he said that the rumors of flights on April 27th, which is what I'd heard have not been confirmed yet from his headquarters. Mm -hmm. and he said to call back another time. But it's also not a flat no. Right, right, yeah, which was, um, yeah, I, I asked as well, like, when do you expect to re to start again? And he said he didn't know. But, um, yeah, interesting that, that mm. April 
has been mooted late April for flights, but it's hard to know. Uh, I, I, I suspect we'll go from zero to 60 very quickly mm. when the border starts reopening beyond China, this Chinese delegation. What about North Korean people like diplomats, students and traders who were stuck outside North Korea when the borders closed three years ago? Have they been allowed to go back yet? No, but that flight, uh, the April 27th one, was cited to me by a source as being intended for mm. North Korean diplomats, officials, workers, students who are stuck overseas to, to make the initial flight home, which was quite specific information. But yeah, it could, could, things could be about to change. I wonder uh, what kind of ideological quarantine those people would have to go through after three years of being away from the mothership. Very significant, I think. At the moment, how are some of the NGOs that you talk to feeling about the prospects of being able to return to North Korea within this year? No one was that hopeful. Everyone just said that, you know, this is a good sign, it's movement in the right direction, but there was no real specifics beyond that. Mm. All right, well, let's finish today with a, uh, a quick chat about some frustrations of uh, foreign media people working in South Korea. Chad, you recently did a story for Korea Pro, that's the, uh, our product that focuses on news in South Korea, about some of the difficulties in getting information out of government agencies. Could you tell us a little bit about that? I mean, this has been an issue since, I mean, for decades, but it's, uh, as I, I personally have been feeling it since I moved here in 2016. Basically, the gist of it is, is that there's a two-tier system, as in many walks of life in Korea, let's be honest, for foreigners and for Koreans uh, when it comes to reporting and access to the government. And basically, there's a lot of, government favoritism towards South Korean journalists and the way it articulates, which I think is very unfair, is that they can physically go to the Ministry of Unification, the Ministry of Foreign Affairs, the Ministry of National Defense. They can sit in a press room and then they can have daily briefings. They're called back, background briefings where they can ask on background about anything they want and they hear a lot of information firsthand from government, missile alerts, things of that nature. They can do that. We cannot. Now, if we try and register, we are told that by the government that, that basically the reason we can't register to attend those things is because the custom is that only Korean journalists can do it because of this so-called Kijadan system, which is like press corps in the English translation, mm -hmm. which uh, in each ministry, there is a press corps leader who uh, is independent of government, is a journalist, and basically gets to pick with the other journalists in the press corps who can, can join. Now, when you compare this to America, for example, in Washington, foreign media can register to join the press corps of, say, the White House or the Pentagon or the State Department. Whether they get in, that's up to the government and the press, uh, the press corps, but foreign media are not prohibited from applying and in some cases do get it. So you do get some major international news agencies in, in D.C., for example, working with that level of access but here it's just flat out not possible it's really frustrating that it's like this and i spoke to many journalists who are affected by it but also korean journalists in korean media everyone thinks it's a stupid system i think what's really interesting is the government are basically too scared to change the system they're, wor they're very worried about upsetting the local press and thinking a very what all my sources said seemed to think in a very short-term tactical way about keeping local media happy and that results in this stasis and stagnation and very little chance that, that this system will ever change. 
Just hypothetically speaking there, if NK News or Korea Pro had access to, let's say, the Ministry of Foreign Affairs, would that mean that you'd have to have somebody there in that room every day for the background briefings? Yeah, so... Seems kind of resource heavy. Yeah, this is this is where the system needs to, I think, have a, a respect of foreign press as having a different level of requirement when it comes to access because we we can't have someone sitting in these ministries all day every day one Korean, person for each ministry right yeah Korean yeah. media can do that because it's their local news mm. right and it's mm. important to them to cover the the granular stuff but maybe a workaround is that the foreign media here we can club together and have one person go and and maintain and send the transcripts out um but right now as it stands even that would not be possible so mm. The, the thing is, though, the Ministry of Economy and Finance does allow foreign and local media equal access, which to me means if there's a precedent within the government that that ministry, Tom, it's been like that for 25, 30 years, then the others can do it as well. So you've what, got a, you've got a one model ministry that does yeah. do things the way that you yeah, yeah. expect. And where this relates to our listeners is if you want to understand what's going on about North Korea, a lot of information is shared in these especially from the unification ministry mm. foreign ministry and ministry of national, national defense, defense. Yeah. that only goes to local media ah. and then we have to either then basically try and convince a local journalist that we know within those press corps to share the notes and transcriptions like under the table or we just have to cite their interpretation of it and so it doesn't lend itself to accuracy I would argue totally incompatible with being a global pivotal state that you basically prejudice levels of access based on nationality of media. And I think the Korean government should be deeply ashamed of this system. James, any thoughts on that? <laughs> He's shaking his head. None at all there. No comment. Okay. Because he appeared on KBS. <laughs> yes, I will, uh, I'll be appearing on Arirang TV next Monday. So. <laughs> Ari Rang have access to these uh, areas as well. Because um, it's, a, it's a government controlled yeah. Uh, media. Yeah. yeah. No, I, I, I just think it's, it's ridiculous in 2023 we have to work like this. Um, and uh, the government, of course, insists there's no problem. But one of the former spokespersons that I talked to, when I asked him, what do you think the government will say? He said, they'll say there's no problem. And he was exactly right. <laughs> uh, there's no problem. Nothing to see here, folks. Keep on yeah. moving. Well, that's what we're going to have to finish today. Thank you very much, Chad O'Carroll and James Fretwell, for joining me today on the NK News podcast. Ladies and gentlemen, that's the end of today's podcast. If you already have an NK News account, and if you're a think tank, business, or academic institution, take a look at NK Pro. Our NK Pro platform offers unparalleled services, specifically catering to the needs of professionals who monitor developments on the Korean Peninsula. You can inquire about access or a free trial membership by sending an email to membership at nknews.org today. And don't forget also do go to nknews.org slash survey and fill in our podcast survey. Our thanks as always to Brian Betts and Darius Dare for facilitating this podcast episode and to our post-recording producer genius, Gabby Magnuson, who cuts out all the extraneous noises, coughing, awkward silences, bodily functions, etc. Thank you very much. Listen again next time. <laughs> <laughs>